Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Thank you for your time today. I I wanted to, this is Jason Banks. I'm the Vice President of Client Development Post-Acute for NetSmart Technologies. And with me, I have Ernesto Lopez. Ernesto is the Chief Executive Officer for Hospice of Washington County. And again, Ernesto, thank you. I wanted to thank you for your time today. Uh, It is, I can't imagine all that's on your plate with all going on in the country right now and, and the work that you and your team do at Hospice of Washington County and does every day on behalf of, of your community, patients at the end of life and, and the families that uh, care for them. How is, uh, how's your team doing? Hey, Jason, thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the team is, is doing well, uh, despite all the challenges, as you described, that everyone fa- is facing now through this pandemic. Our staff is has really been resilient and and throughout the storm they've remained focused on our mission and on providing you know the best possible end of life care to our patients and families and so that that's kind of been the driver in their uh in in, in this journey is ensuring you know their passion for ensuring that patients are are getting the services that they need in a time where you know those services have been restricted or they've been modified because of covid-19 well, thank you again. I, I think, you know, uh, one of the many things that uh, is top of mind for not just uh, NetSmart, but for many throughout the country is on the teams that serve these end-of-life patients and families are doing. And one of the major concerns for a number of hospice and palliative care providers is not just you know the recruiting uh, and onboarding of new team members, but it's really the retention and the engagement of these superheroes that are providing this care on a daily basis. How do you see the priority of that process, uh, team member life cycle from recruiting to onboarding to retention and engagement as a leader in this industry? You know, Jason, it's top, it's top priority for us because engagement is, is the fuel that propels organizational culture, you know, and that, and that organizational culture is what what really um, impacts all those those pieces or those phases of the cycle. You know, you, you can't retain good people if you don't feel if they don't feel connected to the organization. And some organizations confuse an employee's engagement or connection to to the mission or the or hospice in itself as a sign that the employee is highly engaged. And and what we've found is that we have to you know continuously connect with our staff especially during this time, communication is, is key because folks are working remotely now more than, than before. Folks are having a hard time sort of getting back to what we described the mothership. You know, there's always been that element of, of hospice where, you know, your staff is out in the field taking care of patients and families, but they always have a place to come back and land. And that was the bridge of, you know, maintaining connection uh, collegiality with with uh, with other other staff members and with with their supervisors, and so that's uh, changed significantly. So as as we've made this transition, you know, connecting those fibers of engagement are really key to ensuring that you don't lose your high performers, that that you're able to recruit good people, and that you have a, a stable and highly engaged organization. 
and that's been a pretty significant shift for for most most hospices as they're going through this you know last seven plus months of of, of dealing through through this pandemic. It's almost like you were uh, sort of reading my mind. I just got done with a book. You went in the locker room first. It was partially written by Mike Smith, who used to coach the Atlanta Falcons. And um, and I think you used pretty much every word that he used uh, to describe, you know, how do you engage with your team, which is culture and communication and connection with them. I mean, he talks about the seven C's. And, and I think you, you almost said it verbatim. You know, the the one thing that we think about at NetSmart is how can we play a role? Are there ways that you've seen technology play a role in either the satisfaction or dissatisfaction of the team and the engagement and the retention? And how do you see technology helping hospice and palliative care providers in the mission to serve those that serve others? It plays such a key role, Jason, because at the end of the day, the, the most important elemental factor is it, it's got to work. <laughs> you know, you know, if your technology isn't working consistently, then you're going to have people that are frustrated, people that are going to find workarounds, people that are going to be disengaged. And so, so technology has to work consistently. Or if if it does fail for whatever reason, you know, how do we quickly rebound and 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 get a solution to them so that they can continue to do what's most important? But you know, from a you know, from a pandemic perspective, you know, technology has has really been leveraged across our entire industry. So you're, you're hearing everywhere about telehealth becoming, you know, this this new key key tool or resource to, to be able to connect with patients and families better. Well, it's been around for a long time. Now it's it's really become more prominent, and you know, organizations that really never considered telehealth as a as a viable tool are starting to to understand the value. And 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 I think that as time goes on, the use of these tools are going to be deeply integrated into into future workflow, permanent future workflow, because healthcare providers have found tremendous value, time savings efficiencies and even effectiveness around using these tools and they're modifying the way that they they're providing care and connecting with with you know with patients and families. I would say the other the other piece is you know being able to to use technology to ensure that you're communicating to to your folks internally. And so um, aside from ensuring that technology is working and that you know that that it's it's functional, you know, how do you communicate effectively and timely with your team internally? If if you're a email heavy user organization, or if you're using cell phones or telephones primarily to communicate, you know, what other elements of technology can be used now? You know, texting, you know, video calling. We've started putting some some different different. Um, We've been testing different methods with our staff internally to see what's effective. But you know, ultimately, it's all centered around communication, complete communication. How do we get information out to our people quickly so that they can respond? Or how can we get information out to people so that they know what's happening in the organization so they're not worried about instability? They're not worried about, you know, is my job, you know, on the line? Is the organization going to be viable? Uh, are we going to be be able to serve our patients in the future. So all those pieces are critical in ensuring that not only do you have great care and you're continuing you're con you're continuously providing that care, 
but that you're also ensuring that you have different ways of connecting with your staff so that they feel secure in what we're doing and where we're going. So good. I know that, um, you know, it's sort of like languages. Some people prefer texting, some people prefer phone calls, others prefer email. So totally, uh, totally agree with that. You know, it's funny uh, when I was serving in a hospice, you know, a couple of years we were talking about using Skype for business and boy, was that revolutionary at the time. Uh, but now, you know, it's it's like everybody uses that or teams. So at Hospice of Washington County, the mission is embracing individual needs with love, kindness, and compassionate care while creating meaningful end-of-life experiences for our patients and families. And I know Ernesto is a servant leader and a humble leader, and so he would he would not mention on this, but I'm going to, that he himself is at one of their new locations waiting for the surveyor, which just shows the type of leader that he is. But what are some of the creative things that you've done or seen that enable your team to be, to feel engaged, to feel appreciated, to stay connected to the mission and vision and the values of the organization? Sure, Jason. I, you know, I, I would say the first thing that our team did was our leadership team is is to look at the things that we were doing before the pandemic that were really working well for us from an engagement perspective, and then try to ensure that those things continue to happen, even though we've had we've got all these new restrictions and these uh, constraints that are you know that make it more difficult to do it. So, you know, we wanted to take more time, more, more energy around the, around, around these things that have worked really well for us. One of the things that we've done, and I'm sure many organizations do this, you know, we, we handwrite birthday and anniversary cards to each of our employees every month. So the senior leadership team has done that for a few years and it's well appreciated. We usually include a, a small nominal gift card in there and just a thank you and a happy birthday. Well, we've continued to do that. So each of our leaders takes the time, even though we're working remotely, they have to go in and handwrite these letters and these cards and it goes, it gets circulated and it gets sent mailed out. And, and, and you would be surprised how many staff members, even though they've had this in years prior, they, I, I get a huge thank you. I can't believe you guys are still doing this. You know, this is really neat. I appreciate it. And, and just the gesture in itself and the continued use of that gesture has been really impactful. You know, they're grateful that despite these, you know, logistical constraints and working remotely that we're, we're able to do this for them. I would say other things like everyone, like everyone else, you know, everyone's using Zoom meetings or Teams or whatever platform to um, make sure that they're, you know, um, that they're communicating with their staff. But, you know, we've had our, our town hall meetings with all our staff on on a Zoom on the Zoom call, which is really fantastic, we do daily operational huddles. We do daily department check-ins, and and part of that is especially you know all those elements. They're important because you know we have a we have the confidence that the staff and the management team that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing to make sure that their areas are being you know moving forward that that the cogs are moving. But you know we do these check-ins because. Not because we're trying to, you know, have some 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 level of accountability or trying to ensure that people are working. No, we do them because it keeps us connected. You know, it's those fibers of engagement that we talked about with, you know, with the management team. We also have to have that, and so we make these these uh, um, these sessions fun and creative. You know, for example, uh, my team would kill me if I shared this, but I'm going to share it anyway. <laughs> we're supposed to have. Uh, 
our leadership meeting next week. And, and so one, one of the leaders said, well, let's make a challenge. I want every leader to have a Halloween costume on their Zoom call. And, you know, and we're going to have a contest to see who's got the best, best costume. And, you know, it's the things like that, that, you know, they may seem insignificant. They may seem like, oh, that's kind of, kind of, kind of dorky. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that people rally around it and they get excited. And, and, you know, most people probably wouldn't even think about, you know, a costume or, or, or trying to, but, you know, this is where you see engagement really come through because folks, folks are, are now out of their normal, you know, sort of uh, box of, of day-to-day work. Now we're, we're having to modify to to this new work environment. Well, why not make it fun? Why not make it engaging? And so that that's one of the one of the things that we're doing. About a month and a half ago, we started video blogs, and this has been really successful for us. So early in the year, I had one of my leaders that suggested, you know, why don't we why don't we do a video? Why don't you do a video and send it out to the staff? You know, once every couple of weeks, just to give up, you know, organizational updates. In the past, you know, I would send out, you know, a, a sort of state of the union email and, and with a lot of communication just to, to let them know where things were. And so, you know, we, we finally uh, um, decided to go down that road. And it's been a really neat experience because it's not just me sitting in front of a camera talking. You know, we, we put a lot of humor and lightheartedness behind it. We we do, uh, you know, we, we, we bring people on board. We make fun of things. We we make I make fun of myself. You know, it, it's just it's one of those things that people have really connected with and they look forward to it. So we try to mix a, a bit of humor and 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 fun, but at the same time, we're communicating really important things. We're letting them know what's happening, what they need to do, what we're doing. And so it, it keeps them anchored into, hey, this is these are tough times. Folks are struggling around the country and around the world. And we've had to change a lot in our organization the last six, eight months. But you know, we still have you know the 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 passion to do this work, and we still have a level of engagement to to stay connected and to be able to you know um, relate to each other in in different ways. So that that's been a really neat uh, that's been a really neat program. The other thing that I, I would share is we recently started an employee giving program, which surprisingly. I know a lot of organizations do this already, but we've never had one before. We have a very successful development program. We have several different programs that we raise money for uh, in our community. We've we've been very successful in our small community of raising significant dollars for, for our size population. And we've never done something for our employees. And so uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, I went to our board of directors and I said, you know, we have dollars that are allocated for, you know, through our board for specific projects. And and I made the recommendation that we would put these dollars or some of these dollars into a fund that staff that would be used for staff that are going through medical or financial hardships. Um, And so during this time, you know, we've seen staff members um, have to be out of work because of of health conditions unrelated to COVID or having, you know, difficult challenges because their spouse lost their job. You know, it's just, it's, it's been, it's been interesting for me to hear all these different stories and as an employer, not be able to do something about it because we don't have a policy, because we don't have a process, because we don't have a program. This new program, which we call Hospice Gives, allows employees to donate their unused PTO time because we have a lot of people that, you know, 
that are not using their PTO because they've got nowhere to go. And so, you know, they've decided to stay home and, and you know, they want to continue to work. Well, they can donate into this fund. Um, they can, you know, payroll deduct, you know, small increments of, of money every month if they want to do that. And, and then we will use this fund to be able to, you know, help those folks internally that are having these difficulties. And and the reason I went to the board was because I wanted this this program to to be here in perpetuity so that, you know, in, in, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, our staff would would sort of organically grow and align to this program. But I want it to be, you know, I wanted it to be the staff's program. The board, you know, allocated $50,000 to this program. I didn't share it with the staff because I want the staff to really be engaged and, and feel like it's their program. But those dollars will be there for in perpetuity to help support this and get us off the ground. And And I feel like these are the kind of things, the kind of programs that you do as an organization that really anchor staff to to what they're doing. Because it, what it sends, the message is, hey, is this, the organization cares for me. The organization is not just about the work. It's about my well-being. It's about my family. They care about me. They're willing to help bend and flex whenever I'm going through challenges. And, you know, who doesn't want to work for a place that that does that? And so um, I'm, I'm really proud of that program. And and we're excited to, to get it launched and, and start using it because we've got some folks on our team that really need that help. So good and so true. I, I know I, I often tell people, if you knew the type of individuals that provide this this care to folks at the end of life. They're, they're really remarkable, but to have them come together and support each other in this kind of way is, is extraordinary through the Hospice Gives program. I, you know, the one thing, you're gonna have to send out some outtakes of the video blocks now, and you're gonna have to <laughs> send, us, send us some pictures of the uh, Halloween costume get together. We're gonna have to, you know, when, when, in all seriousness, I do think that, you know, a lot of times, while the majority of the population is now working from home, what they don't realize is that, you know, you've got these selfless individuals that are out there in the community uh, continuing on to service these, these most vulnerable, in their time of need. And so uh, so I think it, it really, you know, doing things like that, um, obviously you have a great support system there with your own team, but it just sort of lets everybody see the, it, the type of individuals that actually choose this as their career and their passion. So I think that's just phenomenal, love it. Finally, what what do you see as the as the outlook? I know, yeah, we'd all like to have a crystal ball right about now. Um, but what do you see as the outlook for hospice and palliative care over the next six to 12 months? You know, I think the outlook is is good for us because um, for, for a couple of different reasons. I mean, we're seeing in healthcare the shift of acute, you know, facility-based care to post-acute community-based care has been talked about and debated for 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 now. I I can't I can't even count the years, but it's always it's always been the it's coming, it's gonna happen, it, it has to happen because our current process system from a healthcare perspective is not sustainable. Well, you know, I think COVID has really forced us from a healthcare perspective to to see that and see the value of home home-based care. And and the fact that you know when 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 areas around the country, especially places that ran out of hospital beds, or or even in communities that basically closed down their beds because they wanted to 
make sure they they would be available for for you know an influx of COVID cases. The value of of you know being able to refer patients out into the community for for post acute care became even more valuable. So I, I do believe over the next six twelve months we're going to start seeing more and more. Uh, of of this trend of, of of you know patients that you know are starting to come back to the hospital for non-COVID related items, patients that we know need that kind of care, and and you know getting getting those those patients referred to the appropriate level of care, whether it's hospice or palliative care, or home care, or even you know skilled nursing. There's definitely going to be a trend of 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 an increase from the hospitals of these types of patients out to these these service providers but you know as far as what what i see for for us internally you know we, we've got to be able to adapt and pivot and and i think it's it's one of the things that we've struggled as an industry for a long time the hospice industry is you know sort of changing the way that we operate our businesses the way that we do things because we we're so accustomed to to sort of doing it within this box that you know that that was created when this wonderful benefit came to light you know back in the 80s a lot of programs struggle to change and pivot and you know, I think now we're going to be forced to to change and pivot because we know that pay you know payer payer arrangements are are starting to come to light. There's going to be a shift, you know, with Medicare Advantage, and and that that's going to be a game changer for a lot of programs. Uh, but ultimately, the longer term view of how you know hospices are reimbursed and how you know how we're we're um, we're how we're engaged as a part of the the continuum of care. I think are going to come more to light, and there's going to be a greater emphasis and focus for those for those providers that can do the things that the healthcare system needs, manage people at home safely, reduce the cost of of, of care, and reduce the you know the consumption of of expensive care, which is you know has been the biggest challenge you know within healthcare for for many years now. So, I think the outlook is good for our industry. But we've got to be very flexible, and we have to start taking more accountability for you know some of the some of these patients that that aren't getting to us, aren't getting to palliative care, aren't getting to hospice, but are sort of floating around in that cycle of of acute post acute care back and forth. And so um, this journey or this experience of COVID nineteen has has forced us to look at that and see how prominent and how valuable providers like like hospice and palliative care can be to the system. Well, I, I could agree more, yeah. You know, the, the other thing that I would say that's gonna be important and gonna be a challenge for, for us in our industry is, is, is workforce health and, you know, ensuring that our staff is staying healthy and protected from COVID-19. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we, we focus on the hospitals and you know, the staff that, you know, it's well-documented, you know, the horrific outcomes that, that occurred early on in the pandemic where many, many healthcare providers um, lost their lives because of COVID-19 or became sick. And these are in controlled environments. And so you think about hospice and palliative care, you know, you have, you have people that are going into someone's home, going into, into environments that aren't protected, that aren't confined, you know, you have an environment where you may have several family members, young, middle-aged, older, and you don't know if, if someone's infected in that home. You know, our staff are going into those environments and, and they don't have the types of protection hospital 
intensive care unit nurse may have. And so there's a tremendous amount of risk involved in, in this kind of work. So, you know, programs have to be very diligent that they're screening, that they're making sure that their staff is staying healthy, that they're reporting symptoms back to, you know, the organization so that we can we can help manage and ensure that we're not sending someone that's potentially sick into, into an environment where they're, where they're healthy patients and families. Yeah, I, um, I I couldn't agree more. I think I think the you know the the industry has been um, in some aspects overlooked in terms of protecting the team members that are putting not only their health but quite frankly their family's health right. in harm's way on a daily basis. I think that um, you know I, I I know we've all been appreciative and in awe of of what your team does, but I I so appreciate now more than ever what hospice and palliative care is. I, I couldn't imagine actually serving in a, in a hospice now with sort of the, the short durations, uh, unfortunate and tragic durations of the end of life with some of these COVID-19 patients. And so, you know, it's it as you know, we all know, and I know most of the listeners know that the, the most intensive time for for hospice is when that patient and family come on service. And then obviously when that patient or family, the patient is uh, deceased. So, you know, it, and that is, has had to put a, a tremendous amount of pressure on, on you, your team and the industry as a whole. And I, I just appreciate so much, not just your time today, but, but you and your team and the rest of the hospice and palliative care organizations around the country serving those that are really truly the most vulnerable uh, at this time. So uh, thank you again for your time and we look forward to connecting again. My pleasure, Jason. It was a pleasure sharing sharing our thoughts and, and thank you for, for your compliments. And uh, again, I, I wish you and your family as well safety and and uh, you know continue to do what you're doing on your end with NetSmart because we, we appreciate having having those resources so that we can take better care of our patients and families. So thank you. Thank you, Ernesto. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.